You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-host, Doug Curl, Sarah Arpin. Hey, Matt. Hey. Hi, Matt. How are you going? Good. How are you all doing? Good. Lovely. Good. All right. Another podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I love, I love Carmelin Gap. It's a, (laughs) it's amazing park. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And um, we're going to get in, get into why that is, but that, that is, that is the topic. Cumberland Gap National Historical Park. Um, It's labeled historical park, which I think maybe throws people off. Um, But geology plays a major role in in the cultural story and the the cultural history there, both past events, current cultural events and features. So um, there's this uh, this amazing broad intersection of of stuff at the park, and we will get into that. Um, We have a guest. Uh, Let's introduce our guest, Dr. William Andrews. Drew is uh, a research geologist here with us at the KGS. Uh, he's head of the geologic mapping section, and, and Drew has been here a while and has a lot of varied interest and expertise, so we thought he'd be a great great person to have on to talk about all the cool things at Cumberland Gap. So, oh, Drew, yeah. uh, welcome. You've been on the guest list for a while, so it's good to have you, have you here. I'm really glad to be here. Looking forward to this. Cumberland right. Gap is uh, one of my favorite sites, too. Why don't you quickly tell our listeners um, what you do? Uh, well, as you mentioned, I'm head of the geologic mapping section. So I work with a just incredible team of geologists that are working to um, make maps or other uh, models and visualizations of Kentucky geology and then help people use those in different ways. And so um, because Kentucky has that complete set of published and digital geologic maps uh some people say i have the easiest job in the world because we're we're done right yeah (laughs) um but we're not there's always more to do and so we have mappers doing some great new work and then part of the job is helping people use that resource helping translate it for different folks and uh, cumberland gap has been a a wonderful example and site to uh, practice that with people help people understand geology and understand the impact oh yeah that's a good point geologic mapping is often considered KGS's bread and butter. I mean, it's just such a foundation of a lot of the stuff we do here is a springboard for a lot of research, and our mapping history is quite significant. And you want to talk a little bit, part of the reason that we invited you as well for this um, topic is you also have a, kind of a hobby or personal interest. Is that is that correct? Do you want to tell us a little bit about oh, that guilt- side of you? Guilty as charged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I grew up about uh, 10 minutes from the Perryville Battlefield State Historic Site, where the largest Civil War battle in Kentucky occurred. And so growing up, I always had this exposure and interest in the Civil War. And um, while I was an undergraduate in college, I kind of stumbled into Civil War reenacting, and I did Union Infantry reenacting for about 15 years. But I've always had, uh, just as a side hobby, um, my interest in history mm-hmm. and um, sites like Camp Nelson and Cumberland Gap, uh, Mill Springs, McConnell Springs here in town, yeah. let me connect that interest in history and in how we got here to the geology. And in fact, when I first got interested in geology, it was historical geology. How did the earth evolve, develop? That was the hook that really pulled me in. And so, yeah, Super guilty. Cool. I'm a, I, I still have, have still have the uniforms and some of the clothes at home. And, uh, um, no, that's awesome. Uh, that's that's why we have you for well, this, this podcast. Is, uh, I, I can say one unique experience is I actually got to camp in the notch at Cumberland Gap mm. as a Union infantry uh, soldier one night uh, as part of a reenactment, and that was that was a. Um, absolutely memorable uh evening um that's cool yeah that was it was a neat opportunity and it was based on the the close relationship we have 
as geologists with the staff at Cumberland Gap. We had built this relationship, and I brought up to them the idea of doing this historical event, and they were like, yes, absolutely, we trust you. Cool. And it, it made, it, it, it helped. Uh, and it was a neat experience just for everybody involved. All the different participants really seemed to uh, appreciate the chance to be in the history like that. Oh, yeah. And that's why sites like Cumberland Gap are so important, because you can be there, and you can feel it. You can oh, yeah. see pretty close to what they saw. And yeah. it really brings you into the moment. All right, let, let's get into it. Um, Cumberland Gap National Historical Park. I've just uh, got some bullet points here. We can all say these and jump in whenever. Um, Cumberland Gap uh, National Historical Park is located in three states, Kentucky, Virginia, and Tennessee. For Kentucky, it's in Bell and Harlan counties. But uh, National Historical Parks um, are areas generally that extend beyond single properties or buildings and its resources include a mix of historic and cultural things. So it's not just like one, one geologic feature like a cave or, or more like the Grand Canyon or whatever. Um, it's a mix of stuff that makes it a historical park. Um, I researched this before coming in, but now I forget how many historical parks there are under the National Park umbrella. Maybe like... 30 or something. I have no concept. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, they have some (laughs) phenomenal historical sites, but I don't know which ones specifically have that name. We have Abraham Lincoln too. It's also a national historical park, but, um, anyway, it is President's Day. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for making me feel extra bad there. (laughs) Uh, Cumberland Gap was authorized by Franklin Roosevelt on June 11th, 1940. It's the largest national historical park in the system, which is pretty cool about 24,000 acres, mostly along Cumberland Mountain. And sort of like we hinted at at the beginning, Cumberland Gap is just this like amazing, impressive range of geologic processes, unique features, uh, cultural history, and it's just all right there, you know, um, in a fairly small space. So it's just a, a fascinating park. Um, anything on the on the basics there? Well, it's a, it's a nice place to stop if you're traveling from Kentucky to North Carolina. If you go that way, for sure. Well, the yeah, stopping at the you, park there is a it's right outside of Millsboro. Yep. And it's um yeah, it's a it's just a nice spot. It's a beautiful area. Beautiful area. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I went to Boone, North Carolina, a couple of years ago with my family. Made everyone stop there. Yeah. Uh, just to, you can do it. You can spend as little or as much time there as, as you want. Really, I mean. Um, the, the town of Cumberland Gap on the Virginia side is... Oh, it's a, that's in Tennessee. Or in Tennessee, yeah. yeah. They're all right together. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Just barely. Yeah. But anyway, it's neat. Oh, yeah. Definitely worth a stop if you're going there. Um, just a bit about the geology here. I, you know, we could do a whole, you know, deep dive on the geology, but just some basics here. Um the park is made up of sedimentary rocks that range from Cambrian to Pennsylvanian in age. So that's about 540 to 300 million year old rocks, um, which mostly include sandstone, conglomerate, shales, siltstones, limestones, and coals. Um, but the interesting thing that gets it, gets, it to the, gets to the gap and some other stuff is this history of mountain building and erosion that, that creates um, some of the features you see at the park. Uh, narrow ridges, steep cliffs, overlooks, rock overhangs, waterfalls, natural gaps. So it's this sort of tectonic mountain building events and and compressional forces, right, that have created a lot of these cool cool things at the park. Um, the key the key feature really, or one of, one of the key features is is uh, Pine Mountain, the Pine Mountain Thrush Sheet. And it is a chunk of crust that has moved some distance. I think it moved like 30 kilometers or something. I think in that space of about 10 miles. Okay. Yeah. Um, And a thrust sheet, it's actually a large syncline. So think of a big, gigantic sort of U-shaped fold in the rocks. And the whole thing kind of moved um, uh, during some Appalachian mountain building. Um, And... One limb of the big U-shaped thrush sheet is Pine Mountain, and the other limb is Cumberland Mountain. Um, yeah, so 
the, all the thrusting was done um, to you know what was once flat-line sedimentary rocks, but this compressional event shoved these rocks up and over, and so now we've got these dipping or tilted sedimentary rock beds that, that make up Pine Mountain and Cumberland Mountain specifically. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The, uh, you can't actually see that thrust fault itself at Cumberland Gap. You can see it at Pineville a few miles away. But what you get to see at Cumberland Gap is where there is, down deep, uh, a step up in a, what they call a ramp in that thrust fault. And that's what lets the rocks bend as they come, of, come across that ramp uh, and cre- creates that really dramatic wall of rock that uh, goes all along the Kentucky state line through there. Yes. Um, there's a series of faults that sort of come off of the, th- the thrust sheet itself and it's, it's really these faults that have kind of created the geologic conditions for the gap, right? So it, yeah. it, it provided the, I don't know, the space, the surface area for there to be increased erosion mm-hmm. and uh, creating a natural gap in, in Cumberland Mountain. Is that yeah. kind of right? Yeah, Pine Mountain, uh, the front of Pine Mountain extends from Uh, Elkhorn City, Kentucky, all the way down to Jacksboro, Tennessee. Um, That's a long way. And you have this wide, thick sheet of rock that's getting shoved sideways. And parts of it break. And so there are little faults that form inside that thrust sheet. And some of those faults help you erode Pound Gap and Cumberland Gap and some of the other gaps through the mountains. And those little internal faults turn out to be a really big deal because they do, like you say, they, they focus the erosion there. They um, let the, the ice and water and wind mm. chew away at the rock a little bit faster in those spots and uh, wear it down a little bit more so it's just, just a bit easier to get across the mountain right in that one place. Yep. Which is why the park is there, right? That's Wasn't it. That yep. The, the way through the mountains, and was it Daniel Boone that actually found, well, probably before him, among, right? among many others, Indigenous yeah. Trails. That's what, yeah, I mean, that's the thing uh, that's really fascinating is um, indigenous peoples were going through the gap for centuries. You know, when they were building the pyramids in Egypt, <laughs> indigenous people were going through the gap. When um, Henry VIII was doing all his atrocities <laughs> in England, people were going through the gap. Right. Uh, Actually, a young man in the late 1600s named Gabriel Arthur was uh, working with the Cherokee, uh, got captured and carried through the gap and Mm -hmm. came back home through the gap. Um, uh, Thomas Walker led a small party through in 1750 to mark trails, and even when he came through, he was noting other people's marks Mm -hmm. on the trees. And so people were going through the gap for a long time before Daniel Boone. He just had right. a better publicist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good publicist. Right. So, yeah. We, uh, I'll just mention this real quick. We had Brian Thigpen on as our second guest, maybe, Somebody, or third yeah. guest, where yeah. we talked about Southern Appalachian geology. And mm-hmm. we, we touched on this a little bit with him, so I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that. But the mechanics of thrust sheets are fascinating, particularly this one. Mm-hmm. Um, just how far it moved and its shape and, I don't know, the forces involved with moving blocks of crust are, is, is fascinating. So um, that's another episode. But Yeah, I think it's the main frontal thrust of the series of thrusts, right? So it would be the most recent one, the last The Alleghenian Arajani. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting as well. well. Yeah, a lot of the collisional mountain belts that you deal with are what they call thick-skinned tectonics. And Pine Mountain is an example of thin-skinned tectonics, which right. is the, the specific mechanics of what causes or allows or... Mm. That's way past my, my, my <laughs> expertise. <laughs> but I just know that Pine Mountain is and the Valley and Ridge in general is, is, is studied as an example, a very classic example of this thin-skin tectonics. Yeah, that's a great point. Th- thin-skinned, low-angle thrust sheets. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's in all the textbooks. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been studied forever, but yeah, it's and it's so extensive and makes such a dramatic topographic yeah. expression, not just at Cumberland Gap, but all the way 
up into Virginia and then down into Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. And if you want to look at some deformed rocks, you can. There is an awesome outcrop. I don't know if you've been there, Drew. That Chattanooga Shale outcrop. It's actually in Cumberland Gap, t- Tennessee. At the railroad tunnel. At the railroad tunnel. Yeah, the old railroad can, tunnel. It is. Uh, Okay. It is a mess. Yes. <laughs> it's oh, it's, it's, a, it's an outcrop yes, of the Chattanooga Shale, and it is messed up. Yeah. You get you yeah. get folds and shearing. You actually get um, some, like, actual structural cleavage wow. in, inside this. So it's a soft unit in the middle of this thrust sheet, and so it was accommodating uh, some internal movement, like the fault, the little fault, yeah. the creek fault, was accommodating some of this internal movement. Well, the this black shale inside the thresh sheet was also accommodating some movement. So there, there's a lot of cool. There's a, cool there's a lot going on in there. Yeah. Because my grad advisor didn't make us drive up yeah. there and <laughs> draw it. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. When you have to renew your degree, he's going to call you to come <laughs> right, up there and do it. Let's just go through some significant features, geologic features at the park. I've just got lists here, so chime in whenever. But first and foremost, let's talk about some cars. Oh my goodness, it's um, been a few episodes th- there's, there's since we've had the yeah. opportunity for. She's going through the straw. There's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's caves and karst at Cumberland Gap. So um, I, I jotted down there's 24 named caves at the park. Um, the most famous is called Gap Cave. There's, there's tours there, but um, Sarah, do you want to say say anything about Gap Cave? Um, yeah. So I have not been myself. We were talking before the episode, and and Drew has, so um, maybe he can shed some light on that as well. But I knew I do know a little bit about the cave. Um, so Gap Cave was mapped by the Cave Research Foundation, and that is a nonprofit organization who is headquartered uh, just outside of Mammoth Cave and is responsible for mapping Mammoth Cave. Um, And so that same group uh, organization mapped Gap Cave. So the current survey length is 18 and a half miles of cave. Um, So that's that's not a small cave. Uh, I don't think we, I think maybe only a half mile is- Tour. uh, Accessible through the tour. Um, But I saw that there's uh, sort of five levels identified within the cave. And so as we talked about um, Mammoth Cave and the levels that you have in Mammoth Cave, um, you also have a similar thing going on with Gap Cave. Um, each of those levels corresponds to a lowering of the water table. Um, and so you still have stream passage in the lowest level of Gap Cave, um, which is actually Gap Creek. Hmm. And interesting thing, I saw they dammed that in the inside the cave in the 1800s, oh. and that still uh, they did that for drinking water for the town of Cumberland Gap and Harrogate, Tennessee, hmm. um, oh. and it still supplies yes. the you drinking can, water. Yes, you can get uh, Cumberland Gap bottled water. It's owned it's by Coca-Cola. I saw yeah. that too. <laughs> oh, yes. Is that from there? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Um, so those are some interesting things. Gap Cave itself has six known entrances. Oh. Um, and there's several different names that it's gone um, by over time. So like some people have Cujo's, heard of like Cujo's, Cujo's Cave. Cave. Yeah. Um, King Solomon's <laughs> Cave, I think, was one. Um, but yeah, and then there's a lot of history associated with the cave too. And I, I don't know if Drew can sp- shed some light on that. Um, but uh, they did some saltpeter mining in the 1800s associated with the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It sounded like both Confederate and Union soldiers used it for saltpeter mining. Absolutely. Which is potassium nitrate, which mm-hmm. is used in the making of gunpowder. Um, and then the last thing that I sort of had that I thought was interesting was that um, it's a 500 foot thick layer of limestone, which is the Newman Formation, mm-hmm. it's Mississippian. And so my stratigraphy and terminology gets messed up when trying to relate that in Western Kentucky um, and the Mammoth Cave area with what they've termed it out mm-hmm. farther east. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the Newman Formation is that same. It's an equivalent sequence. to yeah. St. Jan, yeah. St. Louis I stuff. I think so. So the, the Newman at, on Pine Mountain is uh, used to be equivalent to what they called the Newman around Red River Gorge. But the, okay. the terminology at Red River Gorge got updated. It includes mm. the St. Louis and the mm. St. Jen, and then has some upper 
members that are equivalent to mm -hmm. that extended block of limestone that you get in Mammoth Cave. Okay. So yeah, so in general, yeah, yeah, there's just a whole lot more limestone over at Mammoth Cave. Right. You know? Yeah. So those were kind of the things, and it seems like it's kind of. Um, I saw an estimate of like three to five million years old for development. So oh. it actually kind of lines up with Mammoth Cave as well. It's a beautiful cave. I mean, there's lots of speleothems, impressive stalactites, uh, clear pools of water, you know, flowing water, endangered critters. It's, it's a beautiful cave. Um, but, I mean, is it a main driver, just the dipping beds and the, how the water is funneled or flowing through dipping limestone? Yeah, mountain karst. Definitely, the the levels follow the bedding planes, um, which dips deeply. It looked like it, I looked at some diagrams and things, and so um, just as in Mammoth Cave, your water is preferentially following those bedding planes. Um, although in Mammoth Cave, they're much more horizontal. Here, yeah, they're a little more. They have more dip to them, but yeah. Yeah, Drew, you said this before we, we hit record, but like it is super cool being in the cave and sort of getting this internal view mm -hmm. of yeah, the thrust sheet yeah. and internal view of stru structural geology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I in that setting, you're looking at tilted beds, but yeah. the, the, the local faulting and the fracturing near that faulting has a huge role in helping the water get down to the limestone right. to... to you know, do these different levels so that it's all tied together. It's yeah, it's a wonderful quilt down there. Yeah, how all these pieces <laughs> get stitched together. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. I've got some other stuff here. Um, Tote the gap, um, natural pass through Cumberland Mountain. We talked a little bit about the faulting and, and the gap formation, but Drew, you can expand on this uh, however you want. You know, a gateway to the west. For Native Americans, settlers, right? Whoever. I mean, so as I mentioned, that you know, Pine Mountain goes all the way, you know, from up near that point of where Kentucky points into Virginia, up in Pike County, yeah, all the way down to Jacksboro, Tennessee. And there's three, maybe four, decent ways across the mountain or going around the mountain. And so Cumberland Gap is one of the few ways, basically, through the wall. Um, and so it's a very unique spot. And uh, th did Daniel Boone coin Wilderness Road, or was that? Uh, he was helped, that? yeah, he helped um, blaze the Wilderness Road. So there was a, the Warrior's Path was the indigenous path between Shawnee lands in the north and Cherokee lands to the south. Um, and it probably inherited it from um, older uh, native cultures. And there, were, there are mounds that are, have been found near, Pine, near Pineville. So there's evidence of mound builders in that same corridor. Um, so a lot of people have been going through that for a long period of time. And after uh, Columbus, contact with Columbus and subsequent interactions of Europeans with natives, pandemics swept through uh, the ind indigenous peoples. And um, <laughs> much like, you know, it, much worse than our more mm. recent mm -hmm. experience with a pandemic, uh, but it caused a tremendous amount of disruption in those cultures. And so uh, the Shawnee had pulled back more to the north, the Cherokee had pulled back more to the south, and they did not have active villages right in that area at the time that Europeans uh, hit the door, as it were. And so um, Europeans, uh, in their Eurocentric way, said, this is empty land, we'll just mm -hmm. move right on in. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, um, you know, a very unique circumstance for when they hit that space because this was this was an active place. This was a highway. Yeah, it was a yeah. highway for centuries. Yeah. So, hmm. um, Pinnacle Overlook, amazing, amazing. amazing. <laughs> uh, go drive. You can drive from the visitor center up there. It's windy road, but amazing view. Uh, you're looking west, kind of toward Middlesboro and west along the spine of Cumberland Mountain mm -hmm. and then to the south into Tennessee, like, which is the Powell Valley. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful view. Yeah, you, you can see um, classic Valley and Ridge topography yeah. to your southeast and south. Mm -hmm. and yeah. You can look uh, over to the southwest and see the, the, the bowl, the 
you know, we'll talk about Middlesbrough in a, in a few <laughs> minutes, I suspect, uh, the unique feature at Middlesbrough, and then just the uh, that Appalachian Plateau's topography around that. And so yeah. it, you're right at a boundary there, and you get to see uh, just, you can see so far, and it's such a spectacular view. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable. Um, Ridge Trail is the main the main trail that runs I think pretty much the length of the park on top of Cumberland Mountain um, mm -hmm. just a beautiful trail mm -hmm. and you can see so many features from up there now it's a it's a hell of a hike yeah that's from <laughs> from the bottom of the mountain up there yeah but you know once you get up <laughs> you can just do ridge trail all the way oh, yeah that's cool. a big backpacking trail right yeah 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 uh, I looked at that and yeah, if we could just get transported to the top <laughs> of the backpack yeah. up there, that'd be great. But. Yes, <laughs> catch, catch a shuttle up to Henley Settlement and start yeah. from there. Right. 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 I forget yeah. the elevation game, but it's it's quite significant. Yeah, I've looked. Yeah, yeah. I've done the White Rocks Trail, which you have what? on the list. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to mention a couple of stories uh, that I've got. I one one trip I did was in college to Cumberland Gap. We did Ridge Trail. I don't think we did the whole thing, but several overnights. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, with college friends, and it's just like on a break from school, it's just like solidified how, I don't know, ge I love geology and this park, you know, walk, walking that trail. Then uh, several years ago, Derek Sawyer, who at the time was faculty over in the department, he was running a field trip there with his class. He's, Derek Sawyer's now at Ohio State. He's like, hey, do you want to come along and, you know, uh, help help on this this field trip to Cumberland Gap. We're going to spend the night and you know, see all the stuff. I was like, yeah, sure. So I did, and we got down there. We, we made a bunch of stops, like Pinnacle Overlook. We even stopped at Pine Mountain and went Visitor Center, did the movie, but got up on Ridge Tail, and we're going to spend the night at one of the like cabin-slash-campsites. Camp There's some cabins up there you can stay in. So Derek and I are in a cabin. A bunch of undergrads are in tents, like in the field spend the night in our cabin this is it's not there's nothing in the cabin except for like a wooden bunk that's it right Derek and I are going to sleep all the students are outside in their tents I notice a mouse in the in the cabin I'm like oh yeah no big deal just a mouse it's probably not going to bother me that much then Derek's like oh here's another mouse all of a sudden we're like going trying to go to bed we're inundated with mice and you can't like I said, it's not just one mouse, you know, forget about it, go to sleep. This, these mice started getting on my sleeping bag, <laughs> on my pillow. Derek's like shooing mice away. You were warm. <laughs> we were warm. And we were like, we got we to gotta get out of here. Like, this is not. So we get out of the cabin. We go kick some poor undergrads out of their tent, make them like, you know, buddy up with someone else and take over their tent so we could nice. go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, sorry, but you don't understand what's going on in that cabin right now. It's crazy. So stay away from the cabin. Stay maybe stay away from the cabins. Tents, camp outside. Yeah, camp, camp outside. outside. There you go. Anyway, Ridge Trail, amazing. <laughs> uh, sand cave, mm -hmm. incredible. Uh, it's a huge rock shelter. It's just off Ridge Trail, uh, sandstone, thick sandstone up there. Um, so not a karst feature, but just a rock overhang kind of thing. I've been. No, it's it's a massive shelter. Yeah. It's a couple hundred feet by a couple hundred feet. It, oh, wow. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it's just full of the softest, powderiest yeah. sand that has been eroded below it's it. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Very awesome feature. So you can get there. We went up the White Rocks Trail um, and then... That's sort of the, the far side, I think, yeah. the farther eastern access to the Ridge Trail. Uh, you can pop up that way. So You mentioned White Rocks. Um, White Rock, I guess they're kind of, I don't know what's more western part of the park, 500-foot cliffs of, like, light gray tannish sandstone. Um, huge cliffs. Mm -hmm. uh, just really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Don't get trapped in a thunderstorm up there. Yeah. Get to run down. <laughs> <laughs> Note wow. from experience. Being on top of Cumberland Mountain in a thunderstorm is not to be trifled with. Yeah, yeah we so. were looking out from the overlook of White Rocks and was like, oh, wow, there's a thunderstorm coming. 
two seconds later, it's there. (laughs) Um, Actually, Drew, you mentioned Middlesbrough. I I didn't have it on my list to talk about, but maybe we should just mention mention Middlesbrough because it's right there. Um, It is. And and, and, uh, Cumberland Gap tries to uh, connect and integrate you know, with the adjacent towns of Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, Harrogate, and Middlesbrough, um, so that they're all linked together with tourism and resources. Yeah. And um, But Middlesbrough is uh, a really unique site. The, the combo of Cumberland Gap and Middlesbrough were named uh, Kentucky Distinguished Geologic Site Number right. 3 back in 2003. Right. And it's because of this combo of the geology and the history and the landscape. But um, just on its own, Middlesbrough would have qualified for the uh, the designation in that. Why is that? It is a meteorite <laughs> impact structure. And yeah. so it is this big bowl-shaped valley just sitting there in the middle of eastern Kentucky. Most Kentucky valleys are quite linear, right? right? And this one is just big and round. And um, relatively recently, uh, Keith Milam uh, was a geologist at uh, he'd worked at Tennessee and at Western Kentucky and uh, confirmed a lot of uh, impact features in and around Middlesboro. There are shatter cones at the golf course. Yeah. There's uh, faulting around in the, 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 the ridges mm-hmm. around the, the border of the town um, that make for some exciting uh, challenges for coal mining that happened in the area because the boat beds, instead of being just flat-lying and relatively continuous with the normal challenges people have to face in coal mining. These beds are also tilted and fractured and faulted, and uh, it adds whole extra layers of complication. But, uh, yeah, Middlesbrough is a a meteorite impact structure, and we have no idea when. It's Paleozoic sometime? sometime, No, it's sometime after after the Paleozoic because it it breaks up the the Pennsylvania rocks. Um, And you can still see the shape. Right, mm-hmm. so the shape is still there. So geologically speaking, relatively recent, but we're probably talking about millions to ten million years ago. It's it's far enough that some of the specific features, surficial features that form it, an impact have eroded away. Um, yeah. So, but the 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 deeper the fracturing and those things are very well preserved and very well. Uh, yeah, and you so if you're up on Pinnacle Overlook, looking out at Middlesbrough, it's a great view of, mm-hmm. of the looking, circular valley, and yeah. you can imagine that that crater shape. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the tunnel, um, Cumberland Gap oh, tunnel, um, amazing. Uh, um, so much to say there. Yeah, yes. um, I'll do a couple things here, and, and then take it where you will. It's uh, two side by side multiple lane tunnels that cut through Cumberland Mountain, just southwest of the Gap. Mm-hmm. Um, planning for the tunnel began in the early 80s with most of the excavation in the early 90s and the tunnel was completed in 1996. Uh, it's 4,600 feet long. Um, you mentioned the coal mining issues, right, with deformed beds and stuff, but and a tunnel you know, experienced quite a bit of geotechnical issues of its own. Roof collapses, a lot of water. Uh, Drew's got the pub there. A lot of water problems. A uh, lo- lot of water coming off of Cumberland Mountain and dissolving limestones and dissolving roadbeds and things like that. Yeah, they put a lot of trouble and time into designing and building this. Um, got it all finished, and we're super proud of it. And almost immediately, the pavement in the lanes inside the tunnel started collapsing and it was because of this uh the water almost was too clean uh coming through the mountain because it was so pure that it soaked up every bit of calcium it it could it dissolved all the limestone it could out of the aggregate to the point that it immediately structurally degraded the foundation of these lanes and they've had to go through this very intensive process of removing the lane pavement, putting in granite aggregate, I was just say, and yeah. new drainage systems, and then repaving the lanes while the tunnel was open because they had already reclaimed 
the road through the gap, so there was no other way through. Right. Granite yeah. aggregate, um, just a little bit more expensive than <laughs> that. <laughs> they had to bring it from a lot further away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was really, and, and it and that's like the very end of the complicated transportation history coming through Cumberland Gap, just because you're you're going through this mountain pass and you're going across shales and you're going across coals and you're going across sandstones and karst features, and keeping that road open was a it was a yeah. challenge. Yeah, it was one of the earliest paved roads in the Appalachians, just to try and support traffic getting over it. It it is an engineering marvel. I mean, I think at one time, I don't know if it still is, the longest dual bore side by side tunnel in the country. Um, I've been in the control room on a field trip, and that's pretty sweet. Um, just amazing technology to monitor traffic. Uh, direct and respond to to traffic um they have dedicated rescue and emts in there i read that they got twenty five thousand vehicles a day going mm. through the cameron gap tunnel mm. wow. wow yeah yeah um and, and again like the combination of modern culture and engineering and geology here is you know just fascinating i think yeah um I don't think you can get tours of the tunnel um, or, the, or control I, room, but I don't think there are public tours. Public I think tours. it has to be, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody who's I don't know, nationally recognized engineering <laughs> geologist like you <laughs> that might get the invitation <laughs> to be in there. Uh, I'll maybe let you. you know, Matt will take you through the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, KGS did a lot of work down there with. Uh, you know some of the groundwater monitoring and yeah when they water quality were stuff. originally starting construction they did a pilot bore through the mountain and KGS geologists and EKU geologists um, did the geologic profile through the pilot bore yeah. to um, confirm and support the design criteria and they let a, actually led a, a GSK uh, field trip Geological Society of Kentucky field trip through the, the tunnel boring. And then after the construction, when everything started subsiding, uh, KGS geologists were very involved in uh, figuring out what was going on. Uh, there was a lot of confusion initially because they were expecting acid water, you know, that it was something really acidic. And then it came back clean and they were like, what's going on? But uh, the head of the mapping section or the head of the water section at the time, yeah. Jim Dinger, uh, was working with some other folks in the section, and they sorted out, they finally did the, looked at the chemistry, and they are like, wait a minute, and it was just very chemically reactive, <laughs> but it wasn't acidic, and uh, hmm. they were the ones that sorted that out, and that, that opened the door for the, the, the fix, for the repair. Once they knew that, once they knew what the problem was, then they could design an effective repair. But yeah, I mean, years of ripping up the roadbeds, closing down Took this tunnel, yeah. repairing it, going on to the next patch that had been damaged, and closing it down, doing it again. Yeah, it was really yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting because when they uh, so you had the original road through the gap for centuries, right? And then they uh, tried to build the tunnel to take the modern traffic out of the gap, and they could return it to historical. And they used the fill from digging the tunnel to rebuild oh, yeah. the Wilderness Road. And since they were using unconsolidated debris from the tunnel instead of the original intact bedrock, they started having all kinds of landslide problems. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. they had landslides on the historically recreated <laughs> Wilderness Trail while they were having lane problems in the tunnel. In the tunnel. And um, they, they were... Perfect. Uh, th there were a lot of people that were... Um, not enjoying the outcome uh, <laughs> right. for a, a little while, but we learned a lot from that. That was that was a really educational time in terms of understanding uh, water and chemistry and how the water flows and where the water flows and what's in it and how to build things and how not to build things. And it was uh, and it's turned out to be really powerful and, and it's a really neat experience down there now you can you can be a part of it and it works yeah now it works they have got it together and it is clicking so yeah that's yeah. that's well said yeah that's right um so yeah let's move on to a few other cultural things some cultural history stuff you mentioned this earlier drew but hensley settlement 
uh, is super cool. It is um, a small family community that's at the top of Cumberland Mountain. It's, mm -hmm. it's accessible off Ridge Trail. Um, it started, the, the Hensley family started it in the early 1900s, um, an isolated, self-sufficient little community up there. Um, I don't know a ton about it. I've been, I've hiked through it. There's some old cabins and barns right. and stuff. I mean, I think uh, for me, what is exciting about and interesting about Hensley Settlement is what it represents. Um, until about 1880, um, there was not a lot of development um, from the Gap to Pineville, right, in that space in between there in Kentucky. Once you got inside the wall, as it were, it was those were the kinds of settlements that were there, were these little isolated kind of family plots that were self-sufficient farms. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until um, an outside developer very deliberately tried to turn Middlesboro into a coal, timber, and iron center all at once um, that Middlesboro even appeared. Middlesboro was not a thing until 1880. It was a planned economic development. And so mm. Hensley Settlement, to me, what's really fascinating is that's what everything kind of looked like for a while. And that, that's what I really yeah. appreciate about it. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's really neat up there. Yeah, Everyone it's, it's should unique. go see it. And when you're up there, you're trying to figure out how do you get food? How do you get <laughs> yes. water? How do <laughs> yes. you... Uh, I'm used to, you know, things coming in by wire or pipe or road, and that's they that just wasn't yeah. a, a seriously practical option. And uh, right. it, it it's very, for me, uh, humbling, you know, that people could... Right. Just take care of themselves. Um, the Iron Furnace. Um, so there's a history of iron production in and around the park. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it, you know iron ore mined from local sedimentary rocks that contained a lot of hematite. Yeah. Um, yes. And so what's le one thing that's left is a, is a chimney from uh, an old iron furnace that actually is in Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, and that's definitely worth a yeah, worth a view. And that's uh, that was built in like 1819. It was built before 1820, and was producing iron off and on until the Civil War. The, the, mm. the, the complex got destroyed in 1862 during the Civil War, and as soon as the war was over, uh, it got rebuilt and then went back into production until about the 1880s. And that's when the development in Middlesbrough was trying to kick in, and they mm. uh, went from nothing in Middlesbrough in 1888 to having two iron smelters in town in 1890. Um, oh, really? And so um, that kind of s then superseded uh, the, the antique chimney at Cumberland mm -hmm. Gap, Tennessee. So It's definitely worth a visit. Um, the sandstone blocks that They're make huge. up the chimney are huge and quarried from sandstone above? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, that, that up on the pinnacle, I mean, or up, up, in, that, up in the vicinity of the pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. so quarrying those and getting those down <laughs> the mountain to build the chimney right there it's just thinking about that's amazing it's almost as hard as getting the giant cannon that they put on the top up there uh, <laughs> <laughs> during the civil war which i i suspect is uh, next thing you want to lead into we got good good segue so i didn't have much on civil war but talk about the gaps significance during the civil war well yeah i mean so i mean it was um like we've you know, mentioned several times, it, it was this transportation corridor, you know, f forever. It was the primary um, route for settlers going into Kentucky. And second place was actually the Ohio River coming down from Pittsburgh, and, which mm. seems so much easier. But the Cumberland Gap just got a lot of traffic for the first uh, 30 years or so of Kentucky history. And so because that's where the road ran, it was an important spot. It was how Union troops could get into eastern Tennessee, or it was how Confederate troops could get into eastern and central Kentucky. And so when the Civil War first broke out, uh, Kentucky was divided, literally. Uh, Confederates occupied um, down near Paducah, not, not quite Paducah, but near Mayfield and Murray. Hmm. And then they uh, occupied Bowling Green, uh, down near London and Somerset, and then over to Cumberland Gap. And then Union troops occupied Lexington, Louisville, Elizabethtown, and North. 
um, or a series of smaller battles west in Kentucky that unraveled that line early in 60, late in 61 and early in 62. But Cumberland Gap stayed in Confederate hands uh, until 1862 when a, a very deliberate campaign uh, came to try and take the gap. And the commander approached the gap and, you know, as he's literally looking up at this notch in the mountain and the cannon that were bristling facing his way, um, yeah, yeah, maybe there's a better way. <laughs> and he left some people in place in front of that and then sent folks farther down the mountain, crossed the mountain and came around behind to cut off the gap and that's that's how they captured it. And then the Confederates, after the Union troops had it, the Confederates did the same thing the other way. They, they mm-hmm. sent people around behind, cut off the supplies and the Union troops had to abandon and then coming back again. But the Cumberland Gap each time was this just outpost that nobody dared to challenge because it was so formidable um, just as a, a natural fortress and then you yeah. put put a few cannon at the top of it and no nobody's going to mess with it <laughs> um, so it was um, it, strategic it was yeah very one. strategic yeah. Um, and there's some interesting stories of um, deception uh, when some of the troops were cut off there and how they um, fooled each other into Attacking, not attacking, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, that's probably a whole other podcast too. Yeah, just some of the <laughs> some of the tales of. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um. Well, that's all I have, um, Drew. Talk about. Thank you for your time here. It's been we blew you know great conversation here. We're at forty-seven minutes. Yeah, it's really tons great. to talk about with the gap. But um, talk about some of your most recent projects, things you've got going on now or on the horizon that have to do with uh, Kermel Gap? Well, this is something that uh, Doug and I have each been uh, working on is this concept of geo-heritage. Um, and this is a, um, a vaguely defined term. Um, different people use it different ways. Some people relate it to conservation of, of natural parks. Some people relate it to history. And we... Um, tend to look at it as a tool for communicating uh, the impact of geology using history uh, is how we, we, we've done an, a lot of approaches with this. And this has gotten the attention of some collaborators we have at the U.S. Geological Survey, and they are interested in um, highlighting Cumberland Gap as a geoheritage site, and it's, it's a classic. I yeah. mean, obviously, all the different things that we've talked about, uh, each one of those individually would qualify it as a geoheritage mm-hmm. site. And then um, a lot of the work that you've done, Matt, that Doug has done at the site that I've worked on, um, different field trips and overviews that that we've provided to different people, um, our collaborators want to pull those together as examples of documenting the different components of geoheritage, which can be scientific and cultural and economic and educational and aesthetic, and uh, then figuring out a cool mechanism for communicating those to people. You know, how do we put those, get that site into a national database and connect those resources to that database? Um, and, and so that we're really looking forward to that. that we've got some uh, possibilities there. And I, I think that educational approach, um, it closes a loop that, that we don't talk about much. Uh, it's some, it, a little known piece of trivia is that Cumberland Gap was the site of the first professional geology field camp. Just going to say this because on my list. Uh, in the United it. States. Yeah. Yes. And so amazing. Uh, if you're on the road up to uh, the Pinnacle, uh, there is a site called Fort McCook. And it was one of the one of the gun emplacements that built there during the Civil War. But approximately where the parking lot is, yes. Fort McCook. Was so it's the, a pull-off off of Pinnacle was Road. The, yeah. It was the campsite for this Harvard University-based uh, field camp. So the uh, professor at Harvard, Nathaniel Southgate Shaler, was at the time state state geologist of Kentucky, <laughs> and they built this. Was it is such a phenomenal place to see geology and learn geology and teach geology. They brought 
aspiring professional geologists to that place to teach them field geology. Field geology. Yeah. And, and these weren't like undergrad students. These were, um, this, was, this was professional education. This was professional development. And they, mm. they did a field camp there. So We should recreate that. I absolutely that. agree. <laughs> I even a, have the hat and the boots, so let's go. Is there, yes. a, is there, is there a, a marker there? Or, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't, I, yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure. Because you would never know that just uh, driving, driving up Pinnacle Overlook Road. It's just a little pull off, but yeah. There was a gentleman named David Earl that that wrote the history of this this okay. field camp. Okay. And, uh, we could we could look through his work and see uh, get some facts out of that. And, that's uh, a super track cool. Track some things down. That's a cool. Yeah, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's really. awesome. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Um, what else? Anything else, you all? Oh, that's hard to tell. No, that's, that's <laughs> go to Cumberland Gap. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a visit. Yeah. yeah. Tell them KGS sent you. Well, like we said <laughs> yes. at the beginning, you could take an hour and drive up to Pinnacle Overlook mm-hmm. and be on your way or hike four days on the Ridge Trail. And, yeah. you know, you can do it. There's so many on options. A cave tour. Go on a cave tour. Go on a cave tour. Oh, there's the video at the visitor center is really good. Yeah. Oh. And just a plug for Pine Mountain State Park, which is also oh, yeah. just down the road. Yeah, yeah. It's also Phenomenal. a really neat park. Yeah, that right whole there. area is yes. great. Yeah, yeah. And they're just mm-hmm. some really neat bed and breakfasts and mm-hmm. restaurants, and both in yeah. Middlesbrough and Carmel Gap, Tennessee. Phenomenal um, hiking. Great it's little restaurant in Carmel Gap, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Drew, thanks for your time. Yeah, Great guest. Yeah. I appreciate the invitation. This was wonderful. Thank you. Let's do it, yeah. do it again. again. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, yeah. you all. Sweet. Yeah. Bye. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>